0: Hello, this is Paul baines and this is the IPA podcast. This week I'm talking to Nicola Meddleson, the former president of the IPA and indeed now the vice president for Facebook across Europe, Middle East and Africa. Nicola talks about her early days at BBH as a graduate trainee, right through to her present job and indeed her role as the chairman or co-chairman of the Creative Industries Council. It's a wide range of discussion with topics moving from ad land to virtual reality and touching on how she helps Facebook articulate over 140 products to quite a diverse audience. And oh, by the way there's a small amount of feedback on a couple of the points. Please don't adjust your sets. So here we are in Facebook's um, swanky offices although um, I believe they're about to move to um, new premises just up the road. Um, but we'll hear about that, I'm sure, in a moment when um, when we talk to Nicola Mandelson. So Nicola, um, thanks for agreeing to talk to us, um, your career uh, has been what most people would describe as stellar, Uh don't want to embarrass you, but um, of course I know you from your time mostly at the IPA when you were the President. But I wanted to ask you first of all how you got into this business, because I know it's always, um, it's always an interesting pathway. Some people know from the beginning they want to work in advertising, other people don't know, uh, they just fall into it. Um, what happened to you? How did you end up in so, this line of work?
1: Yeah. So it's great to talk to you, Paul. I uh, always love to see you and to have a good old catch up. Uh, so I grew up in Manchester and I can honestly say I didn't know a single person that worked in advertising growing up. And actually, my dream when I was a kid was to be an actress, and that's what I thought I was going to be, even up until I went to university. And it got to when I was in the second year at, at university, and you're starting to think about, oh, what am I going to do job-wise? I had a friend who was a year older who'd already graduated and had got a job at JWT in the media department, and I just thought it sounded amazing that you could get a job like that and be paid for it. You know, I just didn't know you could do that. So I started to do the research. And in those days, you had to go to the library because... Couldn't, you, know, you couldn't get campaign. You, the library copy was the one that you would use. There was no internet. There was no internet. Uh, so I'd literally go to the library. Not suggesting you're old, of course. I am <laughs> old. I am old. I'm 44. So I'm born after you know, the internet was born. And, and, and that's basically how I got going. So I basically applied to all of the graduate training schemes that year. I was heavily influenced at that time by the advertising that BBH were doing on Levi's and Hagendass and uh, Audi. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get a job there.
0: Yeah, well, that's not a bad place to start BBH. <laughs> it
1: was a privilege.
0: Um, and did you, st- I mean, obviously you're an account handler. Well, I imagine you're an account handler. Is that how you, you got on their graduate training scheme? And Yeah, and, uh... so
1: I, I went on the graduate training scheme uh, as an account exec uh, when BBH was less than 100 people. And so saw it grow into the most incredible global business that it is today and, and stayed there for 12 years. And didn't you move into new business while you were there? Yeah, after about four or five years... I kept putting my hand up to be on lots of pictures. I just found pictures to be the, you know, the lifeblood of the agency, the excitement around the creativity. And more and more I kept putting my hands up, and then eventually uh, I sort of went, I really like this. Could I do it? So I started originally to do half as a new business manager and half uh, as an account director, and then from there gradually became uh, the, the new business director at the so agency. So you're,
0: you're more of a hunter than a farmer.
1: I'm a bit of both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, of course, one of the things that may BBH the great agency that, that it was and is um, were, of course, the eponymous founders, um, Bartle, Bogle and Hegarty. Um, did you come across them much? Were, you, were yes, you in their presence a
1: lot? very much so. In fact, for almost my entire career at BBH, I sat outside John Bartle and Nigel Bogle's door, and, and in the early days, nothing would go out without all, at least two of the three of them signing off the creator brief and the work. So yes, they had a huge influence on me, on what I am, uh, and everything I learned.
0: Did you find, I mean, having, tra- having trained or, or studied drama, did you, did you find that there was a, a natural overlap? Did you find that, you know, being able to present came more easily to you? or you know, was the, What was the connection there?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I did uh, both English and theatre studies uh, at university, and it definitely was a, was a big help. There's a lot of performance goes into the pitch or the presentation of work and, and the thinking, the structure around the beginning, the middle, and end. So, yeah, there were definitely skills there that were useful. Um, and other skills that I needed to learn through along the process as well
0: yeah i mean i i mean i it 's a personal view of mine, but I think that as agencies have become much more busy than well certainly than they used to be, there perhaps isn 't the time to train young people in some of those presentation arts, which uh, can make a real difference so you probably had a bit of a leg up having having come in from that.
1: I think it's an important skill, and it's also it's a cross transferable skill, which I think one of the beauties of advertising is it creates people that have a lot of skills that are very useful for other industries as well.
0: Oh, definitely. So, um, so there you were at BBH, everything was going brilliantly, mm-hmm. um, but then you took a big move, didn't you? You went you went to Gray next, I think. I did. I yeah, went. Tell I went us
1: about to, that. So uh, Gary Lace, who was the CEO at the time, uh, approached me um, and said listen, you're at the coolest agency on the planet. How about trying to take some of what you've learned there and trying to change grey? Because grey at that time was not doing very well in the UK. It's phenomenal now, agency of the year, doing brilliantly. But at the time, it wasn't. And there was actually the nickname grey by name, grey by nature. And it appealed to... I mean, I said no a couple of times, and then eventually he sort of painted a picture about, you know, change management, take what you've learned, and let's see if you can can make magic somewhere else. And I thought, OK, now's the time to place a bet on myself. It was scary... Not going to lie, and it was a big move, but actually was a fantastic thing that I did in terms of the learning that it gave to me. Yes,
0: and of course I know Gary well. He, mm-hmm. he used to work with me at TVWA, and he's um, an irrepressible character and a very persuasive man. So I, I can see how that, that could have happened. Um, I'm sure he gave you his radiator and drain speech.
1: The absolute, which was a brilliant thing to say. Who do you want to? What type of person do you want to surround yourself with? The types of people that drain you or the types of people that radiate. And you, you would choose a radiator every day, wouldn't you?
0: Actually, I saw him the other day, and he's got a new mantra, which is uh, be interested or and be interesting, <laughs> yeah, which I thought was very Gary. Um, so that, that went, I know it went very well. Um, you were doing terrifically well at Grey. Um, and um, then you jumped again. I mean, not immediately, but after a while, you, you went to a much smaller agency, um, Rama. Uh, what, what was the attraction there? Okay.
1: So I love the way you're using words like jump, because for someone in advertising, I actually only ever worked in three places, which is not very many over a 20-something year no, career I know, there.
0: But we're doing this in half an hour, so we've yeah. got to speed it <laughs> up. Yeah.
1: So yeah, so um, so I was hoodwinked, actually. Uh, ben Bilble, um, w- one of the founders of Kamarama, approached me to see if I would have a cup of coffee when I was at Grey, and just said he wanted to pick my brains. One of my mantras had always been, if somebody asks for help, you should meet them. You can, if you can, you should. And I went there, and actually there were Ben, uh, Ben, Sid, uh, and Dave were all there, the three founders. And they had they me. They said to me, actually, this is a job interview. We want to see if you'd like to join us as our fourth partner and whether you'd like to be our chairman. I was like, what? And I'd always admired Karma It always had amazing creative, it had such a strong creative uh, reputation. And they were looking to change the business and to grow the business. And, and that was the appeal there, to go to something very, very small. I remember the first meeting that we had when I joined the whole agency sat around one table. Uh, And then fast forward five years later when I left, you know, one of the largest independent agencies in the UK with 250 people working there, incredibly proud of what we did together.
0: That was an amazing journey, um, to use the X-factor term. Um, (laughs) And I know that, um, you know, while you were there, you probably, becoming chairman, were introduced to different types of challenges to those that you traditionally had to face, working on accounts just at the coalface. Did that did that sort of open your mind to perhaps developing your career in other directions?
1: Actually, it didn't. I absolutely loved my time at Kamarama. And the, the, the greatest thing I learned was the importance of culture. Uh, very simple culture in words, but difficult to achieve for many, which was to work hard, to be nice to people, and to play ping pong. So it had that element of mischief about it. Uh, and it was very true. It radiated through everything. From the moment you walk into Kamarama, it felt different. It felt special. It felt warm. It felt people-focused. Creativity at the heart, innovation at the heart, disruption at the heart. That was the thing that, if we preserve that, that's the thing that would take it into good stead as it grew, and it mm. did.
0: And I'm, I've just come, from, I've just come back from uh, SXSW uh, or South by in uh, in Austin. So I'm full of American sort of slogans, and you've just reminded me of one, which is, culture eats strategy for breakfast.
1: That's
0: true, and I do think it's true. Um, I do agree with you. Um, so, um, and of course, at that point, we, um, we, the IPA, asked you to be our president, which, which must have come out of the blue a bit. I know you sat on council, um, but that introduced you again to a whole different set of um, issues. And, and I know your time at, at the IPA is looked back on with great fondness by myself and, and by everybody else, because, not because it was fun to work with you, but you achieved a couple of things that have gone on uh, and have got a real legacy. Uh, and I'm thinking of obviously credit pioneers, and I'm also thinking of women, women of tomorrow, which is we've just recently celebrated the recent iteration of that. So tell us a little bit about what what drove you to to to, to move on those two fronts.
1: So I mean, I, I took on the IPA it's about five years ago now, and it's 96th year, and I was the first woman uh, to head it up. And I've never been one of these people that have stood at the sidelines throwing stones. If I if I think there's things that need to be challenged or changed, I like to get stuck in there, and I like to do it. And when When I was approached by Murray to do this, first of all, I was like, wow, honoured, privileged, humbled. And then I thought, "Okay, there's stuff that I can do, and I don't want to waste a single moment of my time. It's two years goes very, very quickly. And so I had lots of cups of tea with people, about 60 cups of tea with all the leaders of the industry to find out what the key issues were, what we needed to do. And several things kept coming up. Um, The shift to digital was a really big one. The importance of creativity and the importance also of diversity. And so I thought if I created my whole strategy around there, something good would shake out. And so Creative Pioneers was born. And it's the thing that really got me involved in a really deep way in the digital world. I thought I knew it, and then I knew it again, and I continue to keep learning uh, even today. And it took me to, uh, we, we went together on the Silicon Valley tour. Uh, to Hollywood, to L.A., to really understand what was going on. It introduced me to Facebook and Google and the other businesses. And ultimately, it's the reason that I ended up getting this job. But what I learned from the IPA was advertising's p- place and positioning in as part of the creative industries and then also as part of wider industry, relations with government. These were all new things for me, on new skills. And I think people stay interesting if you keep putting your hand up to do different things. And so I look back with unbelievable fondness and pride on my time at the IPA. It such such a love.
0: So your time at the IPA was also a great pathway into your job or your position, I should say, at the Creative Industries Council, because you're now joint, joint chair, aren't you? Yeah. Um, and that must have introduced you to the, the importance, you've talked a little bit about it, of the creative industries at large, one of the great successes of, of the British economy. Um, so you're still doing that, aren't you?
1: I am. So, um, yeah, it's an abs- again, it's a privilege to do this job. And it, again, without the IPA, I wouldn't be doing it. So I co-chair it with the Secretaries of State for Business and DCMS, uh, Sajid Javid and John Whittingdale. And its purpose is to really understand how coming together the creative industries can work with government to grow, uh, both here and abroad, and also to get more people involved and interested in uh, the creative industries. And the good news is it's all going really well, but we should never be satisfied because there's more that we can always do. So w- one of the big things of how you bring together fashion, film, architecture, advertising, design, so many different areas, is when you actually bring them together, you see what a force it really is. So the creative industries um, are now worth in the UK £133 billion. That's a huge amount. You know, it's £17 billion of exports. That's 8% of all UK exports. But most importantly, there's over 2.8 million people that are involved in the creative mm. economy in the UK. And that number's increased by 5.5%, just over a couple of year period. So it's, a con- it's an industry that's growing its exports, it's growing its business, and it's growing its people. And it, more and more people are becoming aware of it. That's only good for, for the economy, it's only good for creativity, and ultimately, mm. advertising has a really important part to play. Absolutely,
0: I think we're one of the biggest parts of that sector, and what, what's great is, and you've been a big part of this, is is just by reframing, just by putting those industries together and acknowledging that that is the creative industries sector, uh, all of the government, uh, you know, important figures shall we say in the government, now I take it much more seriously and that's obviously good for us here in the advertising sector. So um, and I think I should also congratulate you because I know you were awarded a CBE and I'm sure that was in no small part due to your work uh, with the Creative Industries Council as well as your general advertising career. Um, now. I want to talk about Facebook because everybody's interested in, in what is one of the great, uh, the huge great success stories of, of recent times um, and you, you, how long have you been with Facebook now?
1: So I'm just coming up to my third faceversary as it's called here, so <laughs> exactly. yeah, almost Good. three years.
0: And you've seen it grow even in the time you've been there from the, the massive success that it already had, I mean I think the, 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 the performance of the company just carries on relentlessly. And, of course, Facebook has been on the acquisition trial with um, uh, Oculus, Instagram, WhatsApp. Um, what's the strategy behind that? Why, why, why are you buying everything up?
1: So we're not buying everything up, but, yeah, things have changed hugely in, in just the three years. Facebook's just coming up for its, so it's just had its 12th birthday. And the mission is a very simple one, and all of the businesses that we've acquired come under the mission. And that's to make the world more open and connected and for people to share more. And so people are sharing in different ways to how they did when Facebook was first started. People started by just writing things to each other. Then they moved to pictures. Now it's video, and one day it will be virtual reality will be the different ways that we share. And what we're seeing is that people are spending more and more time online. They're spending more and more time on mobile. And you know, the possibilities are, are just getting more and more exciting.
0: It's interesting you mentioned video because um, you said earlier that you and I went to Silicon Valley, I think, on a fact-finding trip. It was three or four years ago. And I remembered at the time, I mean, it wasn't at Facebook, it was at Google, when one of their sort of gurus said, listen, nearly all the traffic on the web is going to be video um, in the very near future. And at the time, that seemed quite a big, big claim to me. But it's already happened, hasn't it? Yeah,
1: um, and we see that. So we've gone in an 18-month period from a billion video views a day to 8 billion video views a day. People are spending more and more time. They're uploading more and more content. We're seeing live content now coming on. People are just very familiar and very keen just to keep sharing more in different ways.
0: Fantastic. And um, you mentioned virtual reality, and obviously you own you, you Oculus Rift. Um, I've I've been lucky. I've had a demo of it. It's amazing. I mean, what? But what's the practical use of it? I mean, or or what's the commercial use of it? Do you think going forward?
1: So it's really early days um, in the whole world of, of virtual reality and. You know, we're only just starting to ship Oculus just in the first quarter. Uh, and the immediate uh, use is going to be on gaming. The gaming industry has got very excited about it. We've literally just released 30 games that are going to go out now. Uh, so it's early days. But, you know, who, who knows where this will go to uh, at some point in the future? That's where it gets really interesting.
0: I was, I was talking to one of the Facebook engineers while I, while I was out there more recently, and they were saying, actually, the only, the only restriction at the moment is that there are a limited number of people that can write the software. For this thing because it is pretty you know they're busily training them all obviously at the moment but it's pretty difficult stuff but we look forward to that um so um last question on facebook what what do you do i mean here you are you're you're the uh, vice president of europe middle east and africa sounds like a massive job how do you how do you sort of fill your days what, what are the main things that you have to do
1: so no two days are ever the same, which is, I think, what makes it so interesting. You know, it's a very diverse region looking after Europe, Middle East and Africa. You, you have very developed markets with very sophisticated smartphones, 4G, talking about 5G in the future connections. And then you've got very different areas. You've got whole parts of, you know, sub-Saharan Africa that people are not yet connected. Less than half of the, the, part of the continent is actually even connected to the Internet or has ever even tried the Internet. You know, they, they dream of 2G, never mind 4 or 5G. So you have a real discrepancy in terms of getting people connected, which go back to the mission. That's the thing that's most fundamentally important to us. And then you've got to the understanding of how you work with clients. So, you know, so much of the training of old is absolutely applicable um, now at Facebook because it's about understanding what the key business objectives are that people are trying to achieve with their own businesses and their marketing and then how we can help them. And a great part of the role, and for all the people here, is making sure that people are aware of all the new products that we have, because we're inventing and coming up with new products all the time. D- you know, innovation is in our DNA. We're a tech company. And so that, that's one of the things that I spend a lot of time on as well. And especially the shift around crea- to creativity, because one of the things that's really exciting about Facebook is it, it rewards great creativity. Good ads do better uh, on, on Facebook, because people want to see more of them, so there's greater interaction. And so we've created more products. A recent product that we just created is Canvas, which is like a Pandora's box that keeps opening that people can interact and see different, you know, a whole total story uh, from an advertiser. And that we created that by listening to the creative community, to creative directors telling us what they wanted to do, what sort of canvas that they wanted on mobile. So now it exists.
0: Well, as I said earlier, it certainly seems to be going from strength to strength. So whatever you're doing, keep on doing it. You're doing it right. So. Getting quite near uh, the end of our little chat now. So um, what i what I like to do at this point, because actually I've discovered quite a lot in asking these questions. But first of all, can you recommend a book? What, what book would you recommend? If you, if you had to just recommend one book, which book would it be and why?
1: Um, so this is an easy one. Uh, so it's the book that changed my life. I know that sounds very profound, uh, but it's The Godfather. Uh, reason being is because when I was fresh-faced, back to my university days, 18-year-old, I met this boy. I guess he was a boy then, who uh, had a very well-thumbed copy of it. And again, pre-internet, pre-kindles, etc., people carried a lot of books around with them. And I said to him, oh, I've never read that book. And he said, well, why don't you borrow it? He lived in London at the time I was in Leeds. And he said, and then send it back to me when you finished it and tell me what you thought. And I loved it. I thought it was mesmerizing. And wrote a whole almost dissertation back on it. And that boy ended up being my husband, so it's a pretty important book for us. <laughs>
0: well, I'm, I'm glad that, that you explained the story because when you said it was your favourite book, you had me worried for a little bit because I immediately <laughs> jumped to the other conclusion about how you just fashioned your your sort of career on killing people. Oh, Don Carleone, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> Putting horses' not. heads in beds. yeah. So that's a great recommendation. It's one of my favourite books, so I didn't learn anything there, okay. other than Sorry. the little story about you, but, you know, <laughs> that would do. And then, final but question. But I have to
1: say, on books, I mean, I'm obsessed with books. I'm an English student, and I'm also lucky to serve on the Women's Prize for Fiction. So, you know, being having the privilege of, you know, working with some of the most amazing literary agents and authors is an absolute privilege, and oh, waiting sure. to see that list every year. It's always very oh, Well, I'll come
0: back in a few years and ask you for another recommendation. Okay. Um, so then, the final question. Who's your hero? It can be anyone living or dead? Who, who are you going to choose?
1: So I'm not going to choose one, because you wouldn't expect me to follow the rules, Paul, would you? Um, so living, uh, no question, my parents, my grandparents, the influence that they, they have had on me. John, John and Nigel from the BBH days for giving me a chance. Currently, you know, Mark and Cheryl, you know, to work with Mark Zuckerberg and Cheryl Sandberg. Is absolutely a privilege um, and to learn and be inspired by them but then also um, I met somebody recently that just absolutely blew my mind Uh, I was in Nigeria a lady called Funky Opeke who back in 2006 just thought it was ridiculous that Nigeria didn't have access to the internet and she wasn't somebody that had that background but she just thought it was going to be wrong and that the country would be held back so she spent a year researching internet connectivity, how it could happen, and set about raising a quarter of a billion dollars to make this happen. And so she dreamed it, and she dreamed big. And she managed to lay 7,000 meters of cable, whatever it is, under the ocean from Portugal to Nigeria. And she's credited today as being the woman that brought the internet to Nigeria. What a story. I mean, what a story. Well, yeah, what a well, give us to her, 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 her name again. Funke Opeke. Funke and she's Opeke. now, um, her company is Main One Cable, and they deliver basically the wholesale broadband capacity to countries all across West Africa. But she's a woman that brought the internet there. And so, again, back to our mission to connect the world, she's definitely a person that connected the world.
0: Well, that's a fabulous mm-hmm. choice. Um, well, look, Nicola, we've come to the end of our little allotted time. It's been great to to you as always. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Nicola. Um, Some job she's got there, and uh, we wish her all the best with it. Uh, Next time, I'm going to be speaking to another past IPA president, Rory Sutherland. So look out for news of that podcast, which will be coming up soon. This has been Paul Baines Fair, and this has been the IPA podcast.